smartcast you are listening to a mint production brought to you by hd smartcast hello welcome to our podcast the signal and the noise that will attempt to give you a peek into the inner workings of mint's long story this is sunit and i am ajay and we are both editors with mint Every week either one of us will attempt to walk you through the most defining development in the world of business, politics or technology. Let's dive in. Hi, this is Sunit and my guest today knows Mumbai like the back of her hand. Smriti Kopikar is a journalist who has covered some key stories about Bombay. The riots, bomb blasts, terror attacks, the underworld among others. She's an expert on the city and urban spaces and has also written chapters for books on the city. Smriti has worked for many years in Outlook where our paths intersected. Currently she teaches journalism and designs media courses at top colleges. I'm speaking to Smriti at a time Maharashtra is rocked by a political scandal about its extortion economy which Smriti captured in a brilliant long story last week. I asked her about extortion and its link to politics, the police, the underworld and bollywood listen in for a fascinating conversation hi smriti welcome to the signal and the noise hi sunit very happy to be on the show so uh, smriti the extortion and politics is the talk of town right now and uh, maharashtra government's future hangs in the balance so to speak when we spoke before your long story and when we were discussing it you had asked hasn't extortion been happening before and why is it only seen as a mumbai problem and uh, that's because it has to do with politics right uh yes and no extortion i think uh, wherever it happens it used to be an urban phenomenon but it's also now not an urban phenomenon but wherever it happens it's linked with politics but mumbai has uh, in my view mumbai has two or three additional factors for this to become uh national headlines and also become a little glamorous so uh to the mix of extortion and politics mumbai ends up adding uh the underworld when it existed and it does it still does in some form uh it also adds uh the bollywood and uh then it also adds this very vibrant street economy that just never goes to sleep right so uh, when you combine all of that then the mix becomes really potent it also acquires a very edgy character uh, much like one of these ott uh, series and uh, uh, also there is that element where i think the whole trend kind of began in 70s where Bollywood turned extortion into a uh, story into a major story and built characters around it and gave them some sort of uh, sinister uh, malevolent kind of characteristics and that kind of caught on so i think in the popular imagination extortion tends to be a very mumbai thing or a very bombay thing but in reality i'm sure all of us uh acknowledge that it's not only this city but uh probably across the country in many ways right uh, and obviously uh, the politics is why we are getting into the story now uh so can you quickly run us through the controversy that has been playing out over the last month or so yeah sure so uh 
you know, the whole story begins with uh, an uh, SUV that was found parked outside um, a few meters, a few hundred meters away from Antilia, which is uh, Mukesh Ambani's residential tower uh, on Altamount Road or the Carmichael Road, which is really called the Billionaire's Borough in India. And uh, that vehicle had 20 gelatine sticks and a note which was a threat to the Ambani's. Uh, the unraveling of that led to Assistant Police Inspector Sachin Vaze of the Mumbai Police, whose um, footprint or fingerprints were over all of that conspiracy, which then subsequently led to the uh, very unceremonious transfer of the Mumbai Police Commissioner, uh, very justly too, because Vaze was apparently uh, dealing directly with the commissioner, bypassing almost six levels of hierarchy, uh, was using, uh, you know, was using all kinds of fancy vehicles, including Mercedes and BMWs and things like that, mm -hmm. parked in the commissioner's uh, compound. And that's a very large complex, but these cars used to be parked there. And that then, uh, uh, you know, once the commissioner was asked to vacate his post, he thought it was opportune at that moment to mm. point fingers to the state home minister, who is Mr. Anil Deshmukh of the Nationalist Congress Party, and level an allegation that the home minister of Maharashtra had given targets of 100 crore a month to be collected as extortion amounts from bars and hotels and things like that. Uh, which, of course, then, you know, unraveled completely and became a political controversy, a political thriller, if you would have it, because the BJP, it's a very active opposition in Maharashtra, and that's an mm. understatement. So the BJP really ran with the story, went to Delhi, made headlines, asked for CBI inquiry and all of that. And now, um, somehow the whole thing has come to be stuck as Chief Minister Uddhav Thakre uh, and 100 crore a month extortion amount. Uh, now, for those of us who've covered the uh, city and covered the Shiv Sena for the last 25, 30 years, as I have, uh, we know that the Shiv Sena's um, story interweaves with the extortion story in many ways. But Outside of Maharashtra and outside of Bombay, the chief minister is now beginning to be seen as this hundred, uh, presiding over this hundred crore a month kind of extortion thing. For anyone who's been here, Sunit, and I'm sure you'd also attest to this, hundred crore a month is literally peanuts. Uh, the extortion economy, um, as we've spoken, literally runs into thousands of crores. And uh, just to put a figure on this, the figure of 6,000 crores was quoted in the Bombay High Court last week when uh, the commissioners, the former commissioners, uh, petition came per out annum? for admission. 6,000 crores per annum? They didn't specify, but the the talk was 100 crores a month. And uh, then uh, the lawyer for one of the petitioners said, no, no, it's not that, it's 6,000 crores. So I hope it is per annum and not per month, because then that would be the many sectors of the legitimate economy hollow completely. Right. Okay, so let's step back a little bit and from the, the, the political controversy and move to the role of the police, because 
it's clear that this is a key uh, key factor in the story where uh, the police are a part and parcel of the extortion process and that's a truism right yes yes very much very much uh, the police force tends to be one of the most visible uh, faces of any administration anywhere real really so it is here and simply by virtue of being that individual cops as much as the entire system the edifice is in a position to crack down on individuals on businesses on large corporations literally for some violation or the other mm-hmm. and they enjoy therefore official authority and also what i call unofficial clout in a way that uh, they are able to mix and merge the two to extract what they want and what their masters want or what their political masters want from the average uh, citizen or from our regular mom and pop shops or businesses or even large corporations really but they are not the only uh, channel this channel perhaps runs across uh, several other services like uh, the revenue offices right down the hierarchy from the state government downwards um you know the the forest department but i must say that my observation over the years is that the home department which obviously controls or regulates the police force the home department and the revenue department uh, tend to be the most coveted departments for any party in any government and uh, i should think that the 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 link really is uh, quite clear uh, why people would really fall head over heels to be uh, uh, in charge of these two departments rather than say agriculture or industry I or yeah something else so i'm sure there are many other channels as well but the police are a very very visible important channel and uh, i think like the former uh, mumbai police commissioner mn singh uh, told us there are there uh, there are uh, party people on the ground of several political parties who often uh, double up as uh, extortionists and uh, there are extortionists in uniform as well and that i think he was putting it a little mildly but that's the truth you also uh, make the point that the extortion economy has uh, not suffered over the past 30 years or so uh, you know under numerous governments and notably under the bjp led government which is leveling allegations right now the previous bjp led government so it is political neutral politics neutral in that sense yes it's politics neutral it's politics agnostic it's one of those uh, parts of urban economy that continue irrespective of who's in power uh, and uh, it's not only not suffered suni uh, it's mutated it's transformed and it's expanded over the last few years and you know just to give you an example uh, it's not this government it's not the government before this or the government before that or whatever uh, just the previous government that was headed uh, by the bjp where the sena was also a coalition partner in that government but it was visibly a bjp government so during that government's uh, tenure fingers were pointed to a very very senior ips officer uh, not once but 
three different times uh, by three different people, including a, a person in the police force in the middle rung. Uh, the other two were from uh, gangsters who were caught and were in jail. And they all attested to the fact that this very senior IPS officer literally ran an extortion racket from his positions. And one of the gangsters named him as the boss, uh, quote unquote, the boss. Um, I'm sure Mr. Fundus knew about it. He should have known. He would have known about it. He was not only the chief minister, he was also the home minister of Maharashtra. He did not really take any action. He did not, you know, transfer or ask anyone to look at this closely or deeply. And we must therefore ask the question, why? Did he know? If he didn't know, why didn't he know? That was his department. Uh, but from what information one has, it seems that he knew. If he knew, why did he keep quiet? Why was he protecting? Was he protecting this IPS cop? And if so, why? And uh, the answer really to that is, is that uh, all political parties look for lots of money to contest elections and spend during the election, well beyond what the Election Commission of India um, allows them to. And a good portion of this does come from the extortion economy. And it's not just money, it's also quid pro quos, you know. Um, like you give us a hundred cars during the election, you you uh, print banners for us and we let this uh, case go off record, you know, things like that. So there are lots of different kinds of quid pro quos. Money is one of them. But it's really impossible uh, to believe at this stage that the extortion uh, story began in November 2019 when Uddhav Thakre became the chief minister. The slate was squeaky clean when Mr. Farnvis was heading the government for five years. It's simply not true, though that's the perception that's being created. Okay, much of the focus has been on bars and restaurants. But give us an example of how it would work for a citizen, uh, say, Say, for example, what if I decide to chuck it all and buy a house in Ranabla? Uh, I'll get a call, right? Uh, well, you could. You could, especially if you went to Lonavla all the time in a slightly fancy car, had a particular number plate that indicated that you came from uh, uh, Mumbai or particularly from South Bombay and uh, bought a, uh, you know, bought a place worth a couple of crores or more in Lodavla, then it's quite evident that you are in a position to pay. And uh, the extortion economy is uh, really vibrant and throbbing outside Bombay, outside Mumbai these days. And Lonavla and Talpur, and these are all places uh, that have seen recent cases of specially targeting people who've come from outside, the quote-unquote non-locals, and we have one couple actually speak to us in that story. We couldn't identify them, unfortunately, but uh, they did. And they received a very indirect call saying, oh, you know, we are your neighbors and you must now donate to this uh, fabulous uh, town that you are now going to reside in. And the person had a very clear, direct connection to the local politician there. So, um, And what would happen yeah, if, I, I, if I go to the police? 
and this is where the interesting part comes and this is where the intersection comes right if you go to the police then uh, the police are likely to tell you do you want to register a case because if you register a case you're going to be made to run around from the uh, district magistrate upwards it won't come up for hearing you know you'll end up sleeping over this case hanging over your head for god knows how many months you've come here for a uh, for a good quiet life why do you want to bother with it why don't you just settle with this person we'll make sure that he doesn't come and bother you again and if you are inclined to do that uh, you would uh, accept that some of that settlement amount might just go to the cop as well so um this is a trend that people have seen uh, happen over and over again with in in some small towns in mumbai outside mumbai in the larger mumbai metropolitan region uh, and a lot of this has to do with land deals um right. the threat the extortion demands the extortion attempts uh, they have to do with land and land as you know uh sunit in mumbai is the most scarce commodity families have split over land and people have been killed over land and property and uh, extortion of course uh uses that as a, a huge leverage and they have stepping away from the specific example could you give uh listeners a brief history of the extortion economy from hafta and vasuli and who were the players of your yes i my reading tells me that this is not a recent phenomenon it's changed over the decades but it's not uh, there used to be some amount of unaccounted for wealth uh, even in british bombay and um, some of it came to be parked in real estate even then um, a little bit of it went into cinema as well and that's that's one of the reasons that cinema took root in bombay rather than in any other uh, city because there was money to uh, roil it so to speak but the more recent uh, history i think goes back would go back to uh, the post 60s 70s and is very deeply tied with smuggling uh, because india was such a highly controlled economy so smuggling of everything smuggling of uh, fmcg finest uh, scotch um, and then of course the bootlegging and bootlegging was a, a huge amount of uh, uh, a huge source of revenue for um, those who made money off it and one of the first was of course uh, abdul latif who was based in ahmedabad but used the bombay route then there was varadrajan uh, mudaliar on whom films have been made uh, including dayawan and thing, films like that then we you know, this is about the 70s then we have haji mastan karim lala yusuf pathan those gangs uh they have again been uh, kind of immortalized in bollywood uh, as wearing these uh, white all white attire with a patch on their <laughs> eye and things like that uh, though in real life i've met two of them and they were not really like that at all they were pretty uh, when i met them they came across as very kind old gentlemen which evidently they weren't uh then of course you have the um uh 80s when the gang um gangsterism and gang wars both surged across bombay you had the famously the daud ibrahim gang and then 
1993, Chota Rajan broke away from him. Then you have uh, the uh, smaller local gangs like the Arun Gavli and Ashwin Nayak gangs who were really Marathi and who uh, had no compunction extorting money from uh, their fellow Marathi brethren in central Bombay in the mill area and made their gangs work. Um, so it's it's only after the Maharashtra Control of Organized Crime Act was enacted in 99 that you find that uh, the gangsterism is on the wane, but it did not really touch the extortion economy. So you don't find that uh, you don't find the link between extortion and gangsters in 2020-2021 as deeply. Uh, as symbiotically as it was in the 80s and 90s, but it continues to exist. Um, so gangs continue to exist, gangsters are around, uh, but most of the gangs, uh, their spines have really been uh, broken or bent by now. Uh, so we don't hear that much about gangsterism, but that doesn't mean they don't indulge in extortion. Uh, because uh, Ejaz Lakrawala allegedly calls people from uh, the jail that he is lodged in uh, and uh, makes demands of uh, 5 crore and 15 lakh and 10 lakh and all kinds of demands. He demanded for flats from a builder and uh, so on and so forth. So, as I said, the, the, the story has mutated. Uh, the way extortion runs has mutated. It's not only through gangs and uh, gangsterism now. It's through many other channels, but uh, the gangs you do also, exist. Yes, you also, uh, you know, mentioned Bollywood as a inspiration to capture uh, the gangsters and the gangs. But uh, in the public perception, Bollywood also is a victim of extortion. Has that waned? Uh, no, not really, because uh, uh, the filmmaker and actor Mahesh Manjrekar, in fact, registered a police complaint, uh, I think in August or September of last year, just after the first lockdown, and said that he'd received a, a, a call, and uh, ostensibly the caller said he's from the Abu Salam gang and he wanted so many crores. Uh, so, the yes and no to answer your question. Uh, Bollywood personalities are victims of extortion demands and uh, these extortion calls and these extortion demands are actually highlighted in the media and because they involve the Bollywood, uh, they grab national headlines. So the perception is that the Bollywood is a victim of extortion, but it's also a theater in which the extortion economy plays out. At no point other than the 90s and for a good, uh, possibly for a good decade and a half, there were, um, there was clearly a number of films that were financed with money that wasn't completely clean, whose sources could not be traced. Filmmakers uh, then had come on record to say that they'd received calls saying you have to take so-and-so. Uh, actor, you have to take this actress in your film, you have to release your film on so-and-so date, you have to take this person as your music director. So, you know, those, and that's because the films um, had some sort of an underworld uh, footprint. 
um there's there's no getting away from it so bollywood does multiple things in my opinion a it is a victim some people in bollywood are victims of extortion some of them settle some of them stand up uh, some have paid with their lives um some have become victims of cross gangsterism uh, as that very famous case you would remember of uh, gulshan kumar of t series b bollywood also rides a section of bollywood is uh, quite content to ride on uh, money which isn't completely clean or which has underworld underworld's fingerprints here and there and see bollywood then goes on to create stories and tell stories exaggerate both of these things uh and often turn some of the gang bosses into some sort of anti heroes uh and uh, you know actually build stories around them and there is an edginess and there is a there's a sense of drama and all that which captures the public imagination so uh yeah so bollywood is all of this at all all together actually simultaneously fascinating that is absolutely fascinating and uh in many ways unchanging how in this age of uh, computers and internet and phones how is the extortion economy adapted uh, i'm told that cyber extortion is quite the thing now particularly after the lockdown where uh, so much of our life went online um, so many more transactions went online surfing of the internet was one of the key things that we uh, did through the year and uh, cyber extortion is really uh, your data being um, uh, tracked uh, extracted uh, sold to extortionists and extortionists then getting back to you to say that um i know which uh, porn sites you visited uh i know what communication you had with xyz uh, so on and so forth and then literally using that to blackmail you to um get what they want and those demands i'm told have gone into crores already um with uh, some small industries and um uh, some commercial organizations uh individuals had received demands for 10 15 lakhs saying we know we know you visited so and so porn site and we'll let your wife know that and that's you know that's that's uh, as blatant as it gets and cyber extortion has become a thing which is why the government um Uh, rolled out a plan to have dedicated cyber police stations across mumbai uh, they've inaugurated them but i'm i'm not sure that they're up and running yet okay. and all this is uh, via cash right so demonetization has had no impact whatsoever oh, oh yes uh, a large part of it is uh, through cash demonetization hasn't really helped uh if anything the 2000 rupee note made it easier to cart money uh and if you remember the whole sachin vaze story in the car that in one of the cars that the nia uh, um impounded uh he had currency counting machine stashed at the back 
Now, this was a cop car. What was a currency counting machine doing in the boot of the car? You know, so currency is the biggest, but there are others and there are um, quid pro quos that happen saying, oh, you can, you can do this for us and you can speak to that one for us. You can get this person to join our party. You know, there are those kinds of extortions also that happen and they're equally fascinating. But yes, what keeps this economy going is really the, uh, the cash. That is it. And it, and one of the top cops who spoke to us for that story, uh, explained this very beautifully, uh, DJP Sanjay Pandey. And he said, you know, there is extortion that happens on the street with individuals when you break a traffic signal or, uh, you've parked where you shouldn't park or, uh, from, roadside shops because somebody has come and set up his Bhilpuri stall where he shouldn't be. And there is that kind of hafta that happens. And hafta is a regular thing and people pay and just don't think about it. And we think this is extortion, but this is a very tiny, small part of the extortion economy. The larger part of the extortion economy, he says, is the more very structured, uh, institutionalized part, which includes uh, the, the, the police, the, um, other, uh, channels, uh, other kinds of offices and officials, uh, and includes politicians, possibly the underworld. And it has a hierarchy and it goes right up to the top and everybody has a share in it. So, uh, for example, if you set up an industry and you get an extortion amount for 10 lakh, it doesn't mean that, uh, that 10 lakh goes only to the uh, to to your to the extortionist who got in touch with you, that ten lakh portion of the ten lakh probably reaches right at the top of the political and the police hierarchy in that region. Um, so everybody tends to be invested in this in some way, uh, and therefore the motivation to completely uh, uh, eliminate it is simply not there. Um, which is why my observation is that if there is a very strong, committed, upright uh, kind of a police commissioner, for example, um, he is able to keep it down. He is able to limit it. He is able to put his foot down and say this much and not more and not allow it to get out of hand. Um, but other kinds of commissioners just are quite content, I suppose, to let things be the way they are. So commissioners can come and go, politicians can come and go, governments can come and go, but this pipeline continues, right? And this pipeline goes, the institutionalized extortion, um, this is a pipeline that goes on and on and on, irrespective of individuals. Um, and right. to break so, back would really require... Uh, a huge, huge reset and a person who is really not invested in that. And that's really difficult to come by because which politician isn't invested in it? I don't know. I don't have an answer to that question. Yeah. So what's the future of the, the Thakre government? I think it'll. there will be chaos uh, for some time. There will be a kind of... Um, uh, uncertainty for for a while for for the next month or so, and I think 
the BJP is going to make a fresh attempt um, after the results on May 2nd, depending on what happens to it in other parts, including and particularly in Bengal. Uh, what is amazing is that uh, Mr. Sharad Pawar of the Nationalist Congress Party uh, has kept a channel open with the BJP. Uh, he is really the remote control behind the Uddhav Thakre government. And it's a huge piece of irony for people like us because uh, Mr. Thakre's father, the late Bal Thakre, was called the remote control behind the uh, Shiv Sena BJP government of 1995. But Mr. Pawar is now playing that role. This government really works the way he wants it to work. And it's not a coincidence that the Home Minister belongs to his party, the Finance Minister belongs to his party. So he's got all the meaty portfolios. Uh, he's got Uddhav Thakre to hold the can um, and weather the storm, so to speak. And he's kept a channel open to the BJP. There were rumors of his uh, meeting Mr. Amit Shah in Ahmedabad uh, last week over a dinner. Uh, neither side has denied that. They've let that rumor uh, gather momentum. And Mr. Shah, I believe, has gone on record today to say that uh, we will see what happens in Maharashtra after the 2nd of May. So I think uh, the period of uncertainty isn't over yet, uh, but the, the immediate crisis from the extortion may have blown off because uh, there is now an inquiry. Uh, the former commissioner has gone to this, went to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court told him, this is not the place. If you have a problem, go to the High Court. So he is in the High Court. The High Court says, uh, actually wrapped him on the knuckles and said, why are you coming to us? You are the, you were the commissioner of police. If you knew this extortion was happening, you should have filed an FIR and conducted an investigation. So I'm not sure that that story is uh, going to trouble uh, Mr. Thakre immediately. But the period of uncertainty will continue. And that uncertainty and instability is exactly what the opposition wants in Maharashtra. Uh, so that uh, nobody really gets comfortable, not the Shiv Sena, not the uh, NCP and not the Congress. Um, so they are doing, the BJP is doing what its uh, mandate is, which is to play the role of the opposition. Uh, they're probably playing it a little too seriously, uh, but they are. So the uncertainty and instability, I think, is going to continue. Finally, you mentioned meeting some aging dons. Have you had any, you know, encounters, so to speak, with the ecosystem in your years of covering Mumbai? Oh, yes, several. Ejaz Lakrawala, who I mentioned earlier, his uh, cousin uh, used to be in this business. And uh, while reporting uh, for a story, and I reported on Bombay right through the 90s, uh, when extortion was the only story that came out of uh, Bombay other than uh, Shiv Sena. And um, I found myself in his office in uh, near Bandra Khar. And uh, he would, of course, not come on record about anything at all. And uh, he, when I went into his office, uh, I was alone. And he said, look, I'm going to close everything so that nobody hears us and uh, you will only leave this office when I am ready to let you go. 
I mm. thought a shiver ran at that point, but I think I managed to keep my cool. Uh, we finished the interview in, uh, I think, in about half an hour, forty minutes. But it was well over three hours when I left his office. That's one. The other one is, of course, when I was covering a story on dance bars, and dance bars were a huge part of the extortion economy structure. And uh, I ran into a don who then went to the usual route of Dubai and Karachi and all of that, and uh, he said. uh you know you people acha aap india today se hain and you people put us of course in hindi you people put us on the cover as if we are uh you know we are the villains of this city but hamare bagair to bombay thap ho jayegi bombay chalegi hi nahi make sure you put this quote into your next story so i said are you sure you want to be quoted on this story uh, on on this line he said yes I will rattle off names to you of people who are in power today and people who met me yesterday and you can print even those names and he gave me five names two of which uh, three of which were in the government at that point uh mm-hmm. I said of course if we went with all of that on record we would have probably had defamation cases on us and we uh, did not and then there was another time when after the 1993 blasts i remember when we were covering those trails um the, the trail initially led to uh, kashmir militants and then of course to the memons and tiger memon and the travel agency and all of that and uh, rdx how was how exactly was rdx smuggled into bombay and it was through the extortion route and uh the customs officials were involved at that point uh so were the cops at the landing uh, jetties and when we tried when i was trying to track down the rdx route i happened to get into the crosshairs of uh, uh the gang that had facilitated that and uh, i went along with this person who said i'll actually show you where the rest of the rdx is stored and i thought i would have a great a story on hand so uh, my photographer colleague and i went into this place and we were shooting and uh, then we realized that this may not be rdx and we've probably probably been led into uh, of course this was the basement of a very very old building in the old part of bombay old city of bombay and uh, there was no rdx stored there of course uh and uh, this person had managed to lock us up for the rest of the day uh, until he got a clearance from the don that we weren't going to go and squeal and he can allow us out but through the day that we were locked up in this basement uh i must say they took very good care of us they asked us if we wanted biryani and if we wanted thumbs up and if we wanted this and that and all we said was please let us go and they wouldn't uh frankly at that point i did not know how it was going to end but it ended well for me i guess so scary you know, scary are, stuff uh, <laughs> and you must you must many, write a yes you must write a, a book on this great insightful as usual unlike ejaz lakrawala i'm going to let you go because uh, we're running out of time <laughs> thanks nuti thanks a lot thank you thank you zuneet
You have been listening to the Signal and the Noise. We would love to hear from you. Reach out to us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram on at HT Smartcast. Or you can also reach out to us personally at Sunita Rora and at AJ Axiom. To listen to more such interesting podcasts, do log on to htsmartcast.com. We'll be back next week with a new story, another fresh voice, or a unique take on the world. Do stay well until then. and keep supporting good journalism this was a mint production brought to you by hd smartcast hd smartcast